Well, good morning, church family. I trust that you had a good Thanksgiving time with your family and friends, and what a joy it is. I'm pretty sure we probably had a little too much turkey and pumpkin pie and all of that kind of stuff. No, not quite enough, huh? Need some more. But what a joy it is to, to have uh, time with family and to be able to spend some time together. Uh, we had a good day yesterday at Feed My Sheep. And uh, I know that uh, it's a blessing to be able to serve those in our, our community uh, that need a hot meal. And um, what a blessing it is to see you all serving there. And um, you know, it was also a joy last week uh, to hear from Rogers and Rachel Kahindi and the things that are going on there in Kenya. And um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a special partnership that we have uh, as we send them out as members of our church. Uh, to go and, and, and uh, minister in the Lord's name. And uh, we really would like to partner with them and uh, with the Texas Baptist men as they uh, in their water well project there. And uh, so what I would like to propose this morning as we uh, collect an offering over the next several weeks is we'll be collecting an offering for international missions. And uh, as we do that, I would like for us to set our goal um, at about $10,000. And um, that uh, $10,000, I would like to see about 7500 of that go towards this, uh, this well digging project and the other 2500 of it to go uh, to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. And, um, you know, we can, we can do both. And we have this opportunity. But it's a big goal. And it means that we are going to have to sacrifice together so that our brothers and sisters on the other side of the world can have clean, fresh drinking water. And, you know, we have the opportunity. We have the means. We have the resources. We just have to have a heart to do it. And when that happens... We're going to see God move among our people. Because we know that when we have a heart for people that we've never met on the other side of the globe, we will have a heart for the people who are moving into these houses all around our church. It's a tremendous blessing. It's an opportunity that we have. You know, Scripture tells us that we need to be engaged in good deeds so that we will not be unfruitful. It's easy for us to be unfruitful, isn't it? How many hours can we waste watching television, watching Netflix, watching all of these other things? We need to be involved in good deeds so that we will not be unfruitful. Folks, that's not even my message this morning. But that's the message. You know, we also... I want to I encourage you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. And we're going to be concluding our, our discipleship series. And uh, next week we'll begin a series um, around the birth of Christ and talking about um, the great words uh, uh, involved in, in Christ coming as uh, God coming as a man in Christ. And, and um, so we are recognize, though, that as disciples of Jesus, 
We are to practice our faith with genuineness, with grace, and with humility. You know, really, this chapter 23, I want to say something. I, I don't have anything new this morning. And what I mean by that is this has been around a long time. But my prayer this morning is that just maybe today your heart would be open to what God has to say. Because many times we come and we hear a sermon, but our heart is not open. And so the the seed doesn't take root. But my prayer is that your heart would be open to hear what God's word has to say and that today that seed would take root. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for Jesus Christ, your son who came and gave his life for us. Father, that we could be redeemed, that we could have our sin debt forgiven, paid in full by the precious blood of Christ. Father, I ask that this morning, as we look into your word, that, Father, you would show us a picture of our own hearts. And, God, we would recognize that what it means to be a disciple is, Father, that we, we follow Jesus and his teachings. Father, we, we put them into practice every day. Father, that you, your Holy Spirit would guide us, that your Holy Spirit would open our hearts that your word would be a mirror to our soul. And God, that we would see how far we fall short. And God, that we would want to do something about that today. Lord, I pray your presence upon us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, in Matthew 23, it can be divided into three parts. And if you look at this chapter, you have the first 12 verses. Jesus speaks to his disciples, and within earshot there's a multitude, a crowd gathered around, and so they're listening in as well. And, and he warns them not to follow the, the hypocritical practices of the Pharisees and the scribes. He's warning them in, in the first 12 verses, and that's, that's kind of what we're going to focus in on. But then in verses 13 through 36, he, it, it's read as a group of woes, you know, like, woe be unto them, woe be unto the one. And basically it's a warning, and, and it's talking about that, and he speaks directly to the scribes and the Pharisees themselves. And then finally, at the end of the chapter, in, in verses 37 through 39, we read about Jesus' mournful lament over Jerusalem. Over the fact that they're not going to get it because they're being led by people who don't get it. And and, and he's he's mournful of the the, the uh, hard-hearted rejection of himself in Jerusalem. Now, one of the first things that we can see here in, in chapter 23 is that Jesus teaches us something that can be summed up this way. And it's in a negative sense. Don't preach. Don't preach what you will not practice. In a positive way, we say it this way. Practice what you preach. 
Jesus says, don't preach what you will not practice. Look at verse 1 in chapter 23 of Matthew. It says, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. They tie up heavy burdens and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. I mean, most people living in Jesus' day, they were not well educated. They were not well educated, and others such as the Pharisees and the scribes, the teachers of the law, they, they were well educated. And this difference gave the religious leaders the ability to overwhelm the common folk. They would would overwhelm them and and, and talk about the things they they must do. And and they would impose certain rules and regulations on the people as a form of control. Now a seat, he's talking about the seat of Moses here. A seat in the sense that Jesus speaks of it is a position of authority that a teacher in Israel would occupy. And we talk about things that way even today. I mean, you think about a professor in a college or a university says that they chair a seat in a department or something. You know, they, they, they have the chair in that department. It's a seat that has been occupied maybe for many years. But they're talking figuratively about a place of authority in that department. He chairs that department. He is, he is one is, is sitting in Moses' seat, which meant that he occupied a recognized position of authority in that society. And the position of being the authoritative teachers of the law that God had given the people through Moses. So you have a, a very important place that they are occupying. And Jesus pointed out that these leaders assumed an authority that had not been given to them. That's huge. Because these are the, the people that the, the, the people look up to. These are the leaders that they look up to. And Jesus stated that these leaders sat in Moses' seat and the people were to obey what the teachers told them as long as they taught the scripture. <laughs> I love that. I love that we read in the Bible about people like the Bereans in Acts who examine the scripture to make sure that what is being taught is accurate. We need that. See, the word of God was really the only authority other than the Father in heaven that Jesus recognized. I mean, he didn't recognize the traditions. He didn't recognize the rules that were designed by the Pharisees. And Jesus never condemned the Pharisees for teaching the law of God. But he did expose their corruption when they incorrectly interpreted it. So we recognize that the word of God, Jesus recognized that as the authority. And Jesus warned the people not to follow the example of the Pharisees. (laughs) People will rarely listen to you if your actions don't follow what you say. We, we call it integrity. We, t- we call it matching up, you know. If, if the, this used to bother me when I was a kid. When the, when the prize inside the cereal box doesn't measure up to the advertisement on the outside of the box. Or then they put a little disclaimer that says actual size. 
And it's like, oh my goodness. Maybe we ought to have that disclaimer on our Christian lives. Actual size. I don't know that it would be a positive thing. Because I see, you know, Jesus warning them, don't, don't follow these people who are leading you astray. And, and, and many times people do the right things for the wrong reason. See, the Pharisees were so preoccupied with outward righteousness by what it looks like to everybody else that they ignored the inward character and integrity. See, God desires inward and outward obedience from his followers. It's not enough for us just to go through the motions. So when I, when I pray that your heart would be open, my prayer is that your inward integrity would be the same as your outward integrity. You are here to worship the Lord this morning. And how do we do that? By opening up, by being willing to let God speak to us. See, the Pharisees lived according to a double standard. They put heavy burdens on the people while they sought to lighten their own load. And in addition to teaching the law of Moses, the Pharisees handed down what's called the oral law. The the scribes and the Pharisees, they developed 613 additional precepts around the law. Man, there's no way anybody could keep those. But what they were doing is they used this law to interpret and apply the law of Moses, the Torah. And it was all for someone else to carry. Boy, doesn't that sound like a good idea? As long as I don't have to carry it. It's for you to carry, not me. Well, that's the way it was it was coming about and it was it was for all those sinful people out there who might disobey the law but it wasn't for themselves you know we can get that way can't we see they excused themselves from being under such a burden they wouldn't even lift a finger to move it and they wouldn't do anything to lighten the load they placed on others in short they preached what others should do But they wouldn't do it themselves. You know, in contrast to that, Jesus did everything he asked his followers to do. He came to lighten the burden, not to add to it. Reminds me of the the man who told the pastor, he said that he doesn't go to church because there's too many hypocrites there. The pastor responded, he said, oh, don't let that stop you. There's always room for one more. I mean, we all wear masks, don't we? I mean, you probably need to look at your neighbor and say, that's not really them. Because we all wear masks. We believe our own story, our own lies. And it's a major issue with hypocrisy. For instance, the the mask of selfishness may be painful to peel off. But the result is too good to pass up. I mean, masks are worn to disguise what we really are. I don't really want you to know who I am, so I'm going to put this mask on. And you're going to be who you see and who you think I am. 
I know I'm plowing close to the corn. Masks can be put on for fun or they can also be put on for harm. But too often we wear masks to hide who we really are from others and from God. But you need to understand something. God can see through your mask. He can see through your mask. The Pharisees were guilty of wearing masks. And so are most of us today. Let me, let me give you a couple of these. You remember Cain and Abel from Genesis. What about the Cain mask? What we see, we see a clean lifestyle of honest dealings in a person. We see kindness. We see a good old boy who ain't hurting nobody. You know what God sees? He sees a man with an impure thought life. He sees unforgiveness. He sees self-righteousness. The Cain mask. Or what about the Moses mask? You remember Moses, he went up on Mount Sinai and, and, and when he was up there, um, he met with God and, and he received this, this sunburn. Well, I might call it a God burn. Where his face glowed. And he began to wear a veil over his face. Because some people were scared of that glow. What, what people saw in that, they were scared to look upon. But what God sees, he wasn't covering up the glow. He was covering up the fade. Sometimes we don't want other people to know that we're not quite as spiritual as we think we are. We're not as quite as close to God as we think they think we are. So what do we do? We put the mask on. Or what about the sons of Eli mask? You know, in 1 Samuel 2, Hophni and Phinehas. I mean, what we see is we see a fine family. We see a family of faith. What God sees is he sees a family of misplaced faith. He sees a family of superficial commitment. Very shallow. See, the tragedy is that many of us wear masks all of our lives and we go off into eternity deceiving only ourselves. But you need to understand something. God cannot work with our masks. There's no mask ministry in heaven. Some of us have been pretty good at multi-masking. You know, we swap them out and be whoever we need to be. For whoever we're in front of at the time. We've got a lifetime to perfect our facade, our veneer, our working undercover. And maybe, maybe today you're wearing a, a marriage mask. Or maybe you're wearing a I gotta be strong mask. Or maybe a happy mask showing you're the life of the party, but behind the mask, you're dying, you're crumbling inside. Maybe you're wearing that mask that says it's all good. Or you're wearing that mask of sex appeal, but the reality is you're aging and it's harder and harder to keep that mask on. But you see, the very heart of hypocrisy is that we think we can help other people by setting standards 
for them that we ourselves don't feel the need to keep. We do it all the time. And it's a pitfall that any one of us can fall into. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 7. He said, why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but not notice the log that's in your own eye? Or can you, not, can you say that you're, to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So when it comes to avoiding hypocrisy, Jesus shows us from his rebuke of the scribes and the Pharisees of the things not to do. And we must be sure that we preach nothing to others that we aren't prepared to apply to ourselves. Moving on. Look at verse 5. But they do all their deeds to be noticed by men, for they broaden their phylacteries and lengthen the tassels on their garments. They love the place of honor at banquets and chief seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by men. (laughs) Secondly, Jesus tells us don't parade, don't put your piety on parade. (laughs) Your holiness. Don't put your piety on parade. Jesus condemned the Pharisees for trying to make headlines every time they did something. You know, if the paparazzi was around then, that's probably who they would have surrounded themselves with, wanting a photo opportunity for every deed they did that was good. Because we want that on the headlines. Oh, look how good they are. And they're going around branding everything they do and wanting their name on it because they're a Pharisee. Oh, that looks holy. Let's put our name on it. And, 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 and he's saying, don't parade your, pari- your piety. On, don't put it on parade. And, and Jesus also criticized the Pharisees because they tried to place themselves of, in positions of honor. I mean, Jesus continues. He, he speaks to them. He says, but all their deeds and works are to be noticed or seen by other people, by men. That's why they're doing it. That's the motive behind it is so that other people will see what they are doing. I mean, the the Pharisees worked really hard at looking religious. I mean, even their clothes reflected their arrogance. I mean, these phylacteries that he mentions were little leather boxes that had scripture on tiny scrolls on parchment that were written on it. And they carried them on their arms and they bound them on their foreheads so they would look pious, so they would look like holy men of God. And what they would do is they would parade that around. Not only that, they made their phylacteries larger because, oh, he must have more scripture. And they, and they made their tassels longer so that people would look at them and say, look how holy he is. Oh my, he must be so holy. Wow. Wow. See, they made them wide and long so people would admire them for their holiness. See, the religious observances they followed and the rituals they observed, the alms they performed... It wasn't done out of a heart for, of reverence toward God. It was done to catch the eyes of other people. 
Oh, look at what Brother Ridge is doing. Oh, watch what he's doing today. Oh, look at how he's going about this. Oh, he's so holy. Fooey! I'm a sinner saved by grace. And I fall short every time. Because you know what? No one, no one is batting a thousand. No one gets a hit on every single pitch. We all fall short of the glory of God. That's why we need a Savior. Now recognize, it's not that we are to avoid ever letting our devotion to the Lord be seen. That's not what he's saying here. Because Jesus also said in in Matthew 5.16, Let your light shine before men so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. The difference is the motivation. One is we are being motivated to be seen by other people. The second one, we are being motivated so that they would give glory to the Father. It's for His glory. We're to let our light shine so that men may glorify the Father. Not so they may glorify us. See, doing works of religious devotion to be seen by people sometimes can fool people. But they don't fool God. God sees through our masks. See, make sure that we don't put our piety on parade is another way to avoid the pitfalls of hypocrisy in our walk with Christ. Look at verse 8. He also says, don't wear your title. But do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. Do not be called leaders, for one is your leader, that is Christ. I mean, Jesus warned that the scribes and Pharisees, they love the best places at the feast. They go to the head of the table. They want the best places. They want greetings in the marketplace. And to be called by men, Rabbi, Rabbi, honored teacher. See, the scribes and Pharisees were among the most highly respected people in their society, in their culture. And that's one aspect of the role that they were extremely fond of. They were invited to the important feasts. They had a place at the head table with their name on it. They loved that attention. They loved being in there and and being greeted in the marketplace and people running after them and hollering at them, Rabbi, Rabbi, over here. They loved that attention. In other words, they had social benefits. To their sacred role. And their role in society was that of teaching people the law of Moses. But it had the additional plus of earning them high regard from the people and preferential treatment in social gatherings. And you can see how this would lead to hypocrisy the attention, the being honored being greeted in the marketplace when they probably wouldn't greet other people, but they would greet the rabbi because they wanted to be seen with him. You know, a few generations ago in our culture, a pastor was considered a highly respected and sought-after member of society, even among unbelieving people. 
But the days, however, when a pastor could expect to be considered a respected member of society by unbelieving people is largely gone. And as our culture becomes increasingly secular, (laughs) the esteem of ministers will be diminished, but it's also diminished for anyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever we think of this, we have to try to put it in perspective. I mean, Jesus told his apostles, his disciples this in John 15. He said, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, because of this, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A slave is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who sent me. Wow. Don't expect acceptance. Don't expect to be respected in an unbelieving society. They hated Jesus. They're going to hate you. It's pretty simple. But folks, that's the way of the cross. That's the way of Christ. See, the disciples of Jesus were not to seek authority over other people. And Jesus alone holds personal authority over his disciples. Hallelujah. He is my master. He is my savior. He's my Lord. I don't have to report to somebody else. I report to him. As his disciple, we belong to him. That's a beautiful thing. You know, it says a lot about a person. How the person sees his or her her role. And if that person demands that other people call them by their title. You know, that's positional leadership. But there's something else about that. It's a tremendous honor when people call me pastor. Pastor. But it's something I must earn every day. To me, that's a blessing. It's a joy. I love this. Because notice, there's a new leadership model. What does Jesus say in verse 11? He says, but the greatest among you shall be your servant. And whoever exalts himself shall be humbled. And whoever humbles himself shall be exalted. See, the world says that we can measure success by how many people we have under us. By how many people we have working for us. (laughs) But Jesus says we are successful when we serve others. (laughs) I love that. He says we're successful when we serve others. So what is success? I mean, he's talking about greatness in the kingdom. Serving others. I want to say maybe it's volunteering for nursery duty. So that others can hear the message of the gospel. 
Maybe it's down there serving up meatloaf to people that feed my sheep. Service equals greatness in the kingdom of God. But see, we're willing to serve us, myself, and my family. But that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about serving others. I mean, where is greatness found? He gives two ways here. The first one is servanthood, and the second one is humility. We call it servant leadership. It's kind of an oxymoron. How can you be a servant and be in leadership? But that's the model that Jesus gives us. See, a servant, true greatness is found in serving others, not forcing others to serve us, but in serving others, and then in humility. In humility is where our king rules, because he showed us the way. I love that, because he says, whoever exalts himself will definitely be abased, will be humbled, will be lowered in rank, will be humiliated. But whoever humbles himself, the king will exalt, will elevate. See, the Pharisees, they rejected servanthood and they rejected humility. And they themselves reject, were rejected by God. You think about this. The way to rise is to sink self. The lower we fall in our own estimation, in our own esteem, the higher we will rise in our master's estimation and esteem. We're not in competition with the world, folks. We follow Jesus, our Savior. We want to be disciples of His. We want to be all in with Him. That means we're not marching to the world's drum. We're following our Lord and Savior down the narrow path to go in the way that he walked. Warren Wearsby, in his book, The Integrity Crisis, it was written almost 30 years ago. On page 17, he says this. He says, for 20 centuries... The church has been telling the world to admit her sins, to repent and believe the gospel. Today, the world is telling the church to face up to her sins, to repent and start being the true church of that gospel. We're 30 years down the road from that. Listen, the Pharisees, as we wrap up here, the Pharisees were power-hungry leaders who felt their position allowed them to control people. And they wanted to keep the people humble while they gained authority. And in contrast to the Pharisees who adopted a worldly model of leadership, as disciples of Jesus, we must exhibit servant leadership. Jesus made it clear that God would humble a disciple who worked to make their name great by exerting authority over others, but God would applaud disciples who dedicated their lives to serving others. Yeah. 
What an amazing statement. The applause of heaven because we're serving. See, vain glory only lasts a season, but God's glory lasts an eternity. I want to give you just a little bit of application here. There's three or four things that I'll go through quickly, and then I'm done. Jesus made clear to his disciples that following him was a lifelong process. It wasn't a snap decision that they made. It wasn't something that they, they made a decision to follow Christ and then they were good to go the rest of their life. It was a lifelong process of following him. We need to get that. Because a lot of times we meander here and we meander there. And we live our life the way we want to live it. And then all of a sudden the bell rings on Sunday morning and boom, we're ready. We put on our glad rags and we come to church and we're ready for what? We haven't been obedient. We haven't been faithful all week. We're not obedient to anything. He's saying it's a lifelong process. And disciples um, are, are constantly developing and growing and learning what Jesus means and how much it costs to follow him. I would say additionally, Denying ourselves is a daily experience as we put God's will before our own. Oh, we know what our will is. We achieve that almost every single day. We do what we want to do. But putting that aside and doing what God calls us to do is hard. But it's a daily Denying, a daily experience. I would also say when we spend time talking to Jesus and reading the scriptures, we naturally become more like him. I mean, think about it. I mean, the more time we spend with our spouse or the more time we spend with a friend, we start to talk and act like them. We pick up their phrases we start using them in our, 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 our conversations. But the same is true in our relationship with Jesus Christ. The more we talk with him, the more we learn about him, the more we become like him. As a disciple, our goal is not to do more religious stuff. As a disciple, our goal is to enjoy and relax and understand what it truly means to be in Christ. To allow Him to be the authority in our lives. To follow Him. To deny ourselves. To be the one who is proclaiming the gospel. That's what a disciple does. See, it's at that point when we recognize Christ in us, it's at that point that Christ's personality shows in us. That other people recognize Christ in you. See, really what I'm praying for this morning is willing hearts. Willing hearts. That we would recognize and take an evaluation of where we are 
and that we would be willing to take a step towards Jesus Christ. Our prayer is this, Lord, help me to be willing to be willing. Willing to go, willing to do whatever the Holy Spirit asks as we walk this earth seeking to proclaim the message of Jesus Christ. See, you are here for a reason. You are here for a purpose. You are here by God's intention to be a useful instrument in his hands for his glory. But it takes willing hearts. Let's pray together. Loving Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And I thank you for how you guide us. Holy Spirit, I ask that today you would impress upon our hearts to bring our masks and give them to Jesus. Father, that we would not be like the Pharisees who label people, who put them in a box, who who put a burden upon them that they cannot possibly carry, but don't lift a finger to carry it themselves. Father, I pray that you would help us to be the servant that you call us to be. Father, I pray that, that you would bring humility into each of us. Father, that, that, that we would see that humility in the way that we serve others. And Father, we wouldn't make it about ourselves. But God, that we would reach this community, this state, this nation, this world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, these are exciting days that we live in. We have more resources Father, we have, we have more opportunity. We have more possibilities than we could possibly imagine to see the gospel carried all around the world that all may hear of Jesus Christ. And Father, many times we do nothing. I pray, Father, that you would give us willing hearts to rise and to respond to your call upon our lives as disciples of our Master, Jesus Christ. And Father, that today would be the day when we recognize change in the body of Christ. That, Father, we would be about our Father's kingdom business and not our own. God, that we would be all in with you and that we would be willing to be willing to be led. Father, thank you so much for how you guide us, how you lead us, what you do in us and through us. And God, I pray for the hearts of men and women today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.